So we have an announcement to make. We have an announcement to make to the world. We have an announcement to make that started 2,000 years ago. It actually started before then, but it really was launched whenever the tomb was found empty on that Sunday morning. Something new has arrived in this world, a movement, a revolution. Uh, The kingdom of God has invaded this world. And we, as the people of the kingdom, we announce what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen one day through Jesus Christ. We are the heralds in the street with a proclamation. We speak on behalf of the King, Christ for the world we truly sing. Well, that really is the thrust of this next part of our theme for 2023. As James mentioned, we're working through our four statements of who we are as a people Uh, here at Brentwood Oaks. We are a people who are devoted to worshiping God, bringing people to faith, conforming to the image of Jesus, and caring for others in need. Uh, So over the last three months or so, we've been working through worshiping God, uh, using the Lord's Prayer, uh, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray as a conversation partner. Uh, for us to think about what it means to worship God. Uh, but the beauty of the Lord's Prayer is that it's, it's not just about worshiping God, it's actually about God's mission in this world. The hallowing of God's name, His kingdom coming, His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Is my mic on? God's mission is really what it's all about. Uh, This is God's unfolding mission. I recently read a quote from theologian Christopher Wright, and this has been helpful to me to think about God's mission in the world. And this is what the quote says. This is God's mission, not our mission. God does not have a mission for the church God has a church for his mission. Let me repeat that. God doesn't have a mission for his church. God has a church for his mission. That really is the right ordering of thinking about our mission here at Brentwood Oaks, especially in thinking about what it means to bring people to faith. That really is God's domain. God is the chief actor in the play, making that all happen. And our task as his people is to pay attention to God's movement and then respond accordingly. Uh, We really do have an announcement to make. But before we dive into our sermon text this morning, let's spend some time defining terms and really think about that phrase, bringing people to faith. And the first word is faith. What is faith? Well, the writer of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, really helps us out with a biblical definition. Uh, The writer says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is assurance and conviction. Uh, We talked about this Wednesday night in our study of 1 Peter that Ron has been taking us through. Uh, The The author, uh, the 
the one who's leading the study in the video series, Kyle Eidelman, asked that question, what's the difference between belief and conviction? And then he gives some definitions. He says that belief is the acceptance of a truth. It happens up here. It's a cognitive thing. It, it's a cognitive acknowledgement of what is true. But conviction is different. A conviction is the demonstration of that truth. It's a belief that's lived out. It's, it's a belief with flesh. And when I read Scripture, I think conviction is what falls more in line with what Jesus demands of his followers. That it's not just a head thing. It's not just a theory. It's not just a, if we believe in a certain set of statements and propositions, then we're going to be just fine. From what I read in the Gospels and the Apostle Paul, faith is much more robust than those, those mental ascents to some propositions. The faith that we are called to as a church is really more in line with allegiance. And when we have allegiance to something, we build our lives around the object of our faith. So what does it mean to devote ourselves to bringing people to faith? Or maybe we need to change that, bringing people to allegiance or bringing people to conviction. Well, we'll spend some more time on that in the months to come. We're going to start a new series next week on the last words of Matthew, the Great Commission. And we're going to work through that line by line and think about what is it that Jesus is launching in that moment in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. But for our time this morning and thinking about bringing people to faith, conviction, allegiance, there's both an inward and an outward thrust to that statement. And James already alluded to that. So in thinking about our inward focus in the church, uh, the, the, the process of becoming a disciple is something that is ongoing. And so as the church, we... We pay attention to, we, we pour our lives into the training and the teaching and the molding and the shaping of our Christian character here at Brentwood Oaks. And that comes through Bible study and knowing the whole story from beginning to end and being able to locate ourselves in that story. It's about training and equipping the church to live out the faith with wisdom and courage in the public sphere and in our workplaces and with our neighbors it's, it's enabling us to engage in acts of love and service and hospitality. And then, as we saw last week, it's also passing on the faith to the next generation uh, with the leadership training for Christ and our, what takes place in our Bible classes. I just saw our children walk through that foyer being trained in worship. All that is kind of an inward focus of bringing people to a more robust faith, a greater understanding of God's love. But there's an outward focus to that statement. There's a missional focus of that statement that's really vital to the life of this church. And it's, it's that proclamation that we have of the good news. The good news to the searchers with whom God is putting us in contact with on a daily basis. As people who have been rescued through Jesus Christ, we become part of that great rescue mission. Announcing to the world in word and indeed, that Christ has come, the kingdom has come, and the kingdom is coming. It's paying attention to God's movement and connecting us to searchers. 
And maybe this morning you're a searcher. And if you're a searcher, you're in the right place. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. The good news is proclaimed here. But we even find this mission in the Old Testament. And so this morning, as an anchor passage, as we make this pivot from worshiping God to bringing people to faith, and that's not an ordering where we've moved on from worship, that's all connected together. But as we, we make this pivot of focus to bring people to faith, we're going to use as an anchor passage Psalm 67. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 67. The Psalms is the, the scripture, the, the psalm book of scripture, and it's very easy to find. Open your Bibles to the middle, and you should be in the Psalms. If you've reached Isaiah, you've gone too far. So we're going to be in Psalm 67. It's a psalm that's built on the blessing that should be familiar to many of us in here. Uh, we call it the priestly blessing. You might call it the blessing that God taught Moses to pray or to give to Aaron to pray over the people. But see if you can hear it as I read these words from Psalm 67. Hear the word of God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples, plural, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him or revere him. May God bless the reading of this word and this song. So many years ago, in the last century, there were these little plastic rectangle things with film tape called cassettes. Do you remember cassettes? They were amazing. You could pop a cassette into a tape player or a Walkman, and if you didn't like a song, you could fast forward through the song. And if you liked a song, you could rewind it and listen to the song again. And if you got really clever, you knew the timing on both sides of the cassette where when you flip the tape over, you knew exactly where the song would start, the next song. They were an amazing creation. But in the late 80s and into the 90s, there was a phenomenon that happened with, uh, with these artists who were creating these albums. On the B side, many artists, after the last song, would put in a hidden track. I'm not talking about playing a vinyl backwards and listening to hidden messages. I'm talking about a real song that was hidden. You had to wait. I discovered a hidden track 
It was on my 1995 Jars of Clay Flood album. I was letting it play. The last song ended. And then, two minutes and 15 seconds later, I timed it yesterday, I actually went and found it. The guitar started to play. I thought, what is this? This song is not listed on the track. It's a song called 4-7, which is a quotation of 2 Corinthians 4-7, that we have this, this treasure hidden in jars of clay. It was a great song. It was hidden. I was so excited about it. But as it turns out, I was the only one excited about it. Now, hidden songs, hidden tracks, if you discover these, are usually hidden for a reason. They're not that great. Or maybe they're in a different style from the typical song from this artist, and so they just kind of throw it in there, and it's hidden. But this song that I discovered was quite good. It was a song that should not have been hidden. But speaking of hidden tracks, did you hear it in Psalm 67? I don't think it was quite so hidden. Did you hear the priestly blessing? Those words that we say from time to time here at Brentwood Oaks. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's really how Psalm 67 opens up. Those were very special words for Israel. Those were words that God gave Moses to give to Aaron to say over the people, to bless them. And there was something powerful that happened in Scripture whenever words of blessing were spoken. They had an effect. And we see this in the book of Genesis, especially with the story of Jacob. There was this tangible blessing that was passed down. And that passing down of the blessing from father to son was coveted, so much so that Esau tried to kill his brother Jacob whenever Esau pulled the fast one on his father and received the blessing that didn't sit well with Esau. Going into the New Testament, when Jesus sent out the 70, or the 72, depending on your translation, he sent them out on a mission for, in the Gospel of Luke, and he gave them those instructions to, whenever you enter a house, to speak a word of blessing, to say, peace be to this house. And I believe something actually happened when those words were spoken. I'm going to leave that as a mystery. But we speak those words of blessing to one another. We speak it whenever we open up our assembly with the greeting, grace, and peace. But we also speak that priestly blessing. We sing it in one of our most beloved hymns with the sevenfold amen. It gives me chills every time I hear that and I hear the little alto part at the end and it just resonates it's beautiful it's a treasure but several parents here say that blessing over their children that's one of the things that we've tried to encourage our parents to do in the children's dedication class that we have in january to start start speaking those words of blessing over your children when they're young and we've adopted that in our house almost every day of their lives. My wife and I have said the priestly blessing over our children. I missed it last night with my daughter. I forgot to call her. But even when we are apart, we say those priestly words of blessing over our children. 
Those words are treasured in our house. But here in Psalm 67, the psalmist opens up with that blessing. And that blessing is not said from the priest over the people. It's actually a plea in this psalm. The, the psalmist is pleading with God to, to bless them with those words from the priestly blessing. It's a prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. The people are hungry and thirsty for that blessing from God. But Psalm 67 brings God's mission into the forefront and, and really challenges the people to think beyond their walls and ask the question, to what end? Where does this blessing lead us? Is the blessing that God gives His people for Israel alone? Is it for Israel to hoard? Was it meant to be a hidden track? Only known and experienced and heard by the chosen few? Or did God have something else in mind with Psalm 67 and with God's mission? Well, in Psalm 67, the boundary lines between Israel and the nations becomes blurred. The world becomes the stage of blessing. Now, this was a radical idea. It shouldn't have been. We'll talk a little bit about Abraham next week and the great commission that was given to Abraham. It shouldn't have been a surprise to the people, and yet it was. Psalm 67 takes a hidden track, a blessing that was for the people of Israel and this tiny little nation amongst this large world, and God amplifies that hidden track to the nations. The blessing of God is a song that was meant to be heard, as it turns out, to the ends of the earth. Yes, the Lord shining His face on Israel was to be reflected to the nations. Israel was blessed in order to be a blessing. They were, after all, a kingdom of priests. That's what God tells them at Sinai. You are a, a kingdom of priests to the nations. This was God's intent from the very beginning. That God's way would be made known to the ends of the earth. That God's saving power, God's rescue would be experienced among the nations. But even more than that, the nations are invited to do something that human beings are designed to do. We are wired for worship. And Psalm 67 is an invitation to the nations to join in the worship of God. We see it in the refrain in verse 3 that's repeated in verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. And then this hidden track made known is an invitation to the nations to join in the song. So we have, we've sung a lot of songs about singing to God. You are the words and the music we opened up with. Christ for the world we sing. The song just before the sermon. But now the nations in verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For, jo for God judges the peoples in fairness and equity. And God guides the nations. In other words, God has a vested interest not only in blessing Israel, but blessing His world. 
blessing the creation and his peoples, blessing the nations. This is God's mission. This is the mission in which we join. God does not have a mission for his church. God has a church for his mission. The mission to make the hidden track known to the nations as we bring people to faith, allegiance, conviction. So over the next few months, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about God's mission in this world. What it means for people to be brought to allegiance, to greater faith, whether that is in the church or outside the church, we all need to come to greater faith. But Psalm 67 gives us our marching orders, along with some other passages in Scripture. And what Psalm 67 does for us is it, it casts a vision for us. It, it helps us see the world as God sees the world. And so I would invite you this week to internalize this psalm, Psalm 67. Meditate on it this week. Take in those words. We are people who are on the receiving end of God's redemption and God's abundant grace. Paul says at the beginning of his letter to the Ephesians, he lists out all of those spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. It's too numerous to count. It's too, it's too mind-boggling to really get our imaginations around how God has blessed us. Count your many blessings, James says. We have too many blessings to count. And yet each week, we are gathered here, almost like a, a huddle in football. We are gathered together to rehearse that story. We're gathered together around this table. We're gathered together to remember our story of redemption and, and give our response, our, our thanksgiving, our adoration, our praise to the God above. But then we are sent. We are the gathered and sent ones. And at the end of every assembly, we are sent out to the field. And what's the field? Well, in Psalm 67, the field is the world. The field is the 78758 zip code. The field is North Austin and Pflugerville and Round Rock and Elgin, Maynard, Georgetown, Leander, Cedar Park, Westlake, South Austin. I know I left out some. Our field is the area between Breaker Lane and Palmer Lane. That's where the game is played. That's what this is all about. As we gather, as we find restoration, we are sent out in mission to bring people to faith. We have a song to sing. Not a hidden track, but a song that was meant to be heard. The song of Jesus Christ, the good news that is anticipated in Psalm 67, but fully realized in Jesus, fully realized in the empty tomb, fully realized at the end of all things, that in the book of Revelation chapter 5, when you have those concentric circles of worship, where at the very center is the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb, and you have the myriads of angels, and you have the great multitudes of every tribe and nation and language caught up in singing the song of praise, the new song, 
engaged in worship. That's the, the trajectory that Psalm 67 sends us on as we carry out this mission God's entrusted to us. Well, this morning we are invited to greater participation. And we come here in all different walks of life. Some of here come, come to us maybe for the first time. Maybe you're a searcher this morning and you're not sure why you're here. You just, you want to hear good news. You want to hear truth. You want a place to plant your feet. Some of you have been here for decades. And yet you are called to continue to join in with that mission that God has already unleashed on the world through Jesus Christ. We have this invitation to give to the world, to the nations. The invitation to, to provide the living water or the conduit for the living water to go through us to the thirsty souls among us, our neighbors, our friends, people far off. If you would like to respond to the good news of where the